Hey, good morning and welcome everybody. We're so glad that you're a part of our online campus here at Summit Church. And we just want to say good morning and welcome to you. And if you're new with us, uh, there's a link on this uh, presentation right now that you can click on and give us your information so that we can serve you the best and our pastor and leader can get in contact with you. And if you need prayer today or if you want to make a decision to follow Christ before the end of this worship experience is over, that will be available to you. And all you have to do is just click on that or direct message and we will get your information and we'll reach out to you and help you. We're so glad you're a part of Summit Church and I am excited about continuing this series that we just started. And I'm glad you're here with us today to, to do this series. And the, the series that we're talking about is Celebrate Jesus is Coming. And the reason we took this uh, title is because we believe that so many, so often when we talk about eschatology or end time events or the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ, people get this weird fear or dread or real negative feelings about it. But we just believe, hey, listen, we can see what's going on in the world. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but here's what we do know. We know he made a promise that he would come back and he's not a man that he should lie. So he is coming back. And what we want to do is prepare our hearts for it. So the way we should look at the end times is we should hope. We should, we should be excited. We should be ready to celebrate. We should be preparing for the party. Because when Jesus returns, it's going to be such an amazing time for the church. And, and as we are caught away to be with the Lord, it's going to be an amazing thing with no sickness or sorrow or death or, or any of the things that we have been encumbered by on this earth. And, and I just want to say it's something to celebrate. It's something to be happy about. And so we want to talk about that today. And today, I'm going to uh, discuss the chapter 2 and 3 of Revelations and what Jesus said to the churches. And there are seven churches. And Jesus basically told John to write a letter to each church. And this is what he wanted to say. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to entitle this message, What the Spirit Says to the Church. And I want, to, I want you to read with me, if you will, this text in Revelations chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. And we're reading out of the New International Version. And here's what it says. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on His throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I mean... Listen to that. I mean, that's a victorious passage of Scripture. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we ask you, God, help me, Lord, to just be able to articulate this in a way that it touches the heart of every single person who's a part of this worship experience. And help us to study this with hope in our hearts. And Lord, celebrating your presence. And Lord, I just pray that your presence will be real to us. Lord, I know you've already been with us in this worship experience, but I pray that you'll cause your tangible, felt presence of your Holy Spirit to minister to us as we study your word. And Lord, help us to receive it. Help us to bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, And everyone said, amen. Well, we're so glad you're with us today. You know, there's an interesting correlation uh, between the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible. And it's very interesting to me. And because truthfully, when you think about Genesis, you think that's the beginning. It talks about the beginning, the Genesis. That's why it's called Genesis. And then at the end of the Bible is Revelation. And there's some very interesting things that correlate and kind of put book on bookends on history. 
And it's important for us to kind of get a perspective that that's what is happening here. When you look at the book of Revelation, and if you're going to study end times, if we're going to study the second coming of Jesus, you know, it's important to study Daniel. It's important to study Isaiah. It's important to study uh, several different books in uh, the Gospels as well as Acts. But you cannot leave out Revelation. Revelation is important. And I want you to understand that Revelation is not something we should resist. It's something that we should embrace. Um, so let's look at some of the, the similarities or at least the connection between Genesis and Revelations. Genesis is the commencement of heaven and earth, the beginning. And Revelation is the consummation of heaven and earth. Genesis is the entrance of sin on the earth and the curse on the earth. And Revelation is the end of sin and the curse on the earth. Genesis is the dawn of Satan and his activities. And Revelation is the doom of Satan and his activities. Uh, Genesis, Genesis is the tree of life is relinquished because they're cursed and they cannot continue to be in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life. They lose it, but uh, in Revelations, the tree of life, life is regained. In Genesis, death makes its entrance. Revelation, death makes its exit. I think that's an incredible thought. You know, we, we weren't meant to die. And Jesus came and he said he is the resurrection and the life. And he that be we believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, we are not going to experience that second death. But we're going to be in eternity with Jesus because sin will exit. Genesis, sorrow begins. You know, when sin came into the world, people became sorrowful and sadness and depression and discouragement entered into the world. In Revelation, sorrow is going to be banished. What an amazing thought. In order for us to properly discuss end time events, we've got to look at the book of Revelation. In order to do so, uh, we, we must first change our mindset. And due to all of the symbolism and the attempts of John to describe what he's seeing in his limited ability to articulate it, we find it hard to understand. And so we have to really dig in. And unfortunately, we've had so many people that have taken on the teaching of, of eschatology and the end times and over-sensationalized it and confused us with trying to attach certain symbolism to certain events. And every time there's a big event in the world, it probably does have a correlation to the end times in terms of signs of the times. But sometimes we try so hard to say, to try to find out when Jesus is coming, that we overdo it with, with the way we're trying to attach certain scriptures or certain events in scripture to modern day events. And, it, and, and, and a lot of times it confuses the issue. We've also allowed this cloud of mystery to hang over this book, which is the antithesis of the meaning of its very name. God is not concealing, he's revealing. That's why the name of the book is Revelation. In other words, God's not trying to hide from us or make it hard to figure out. He's revealing things to us uh, that we did not know before. He's giving us an understanding of what's going to happen in the future. And let me just say to you, you have to think about what John was seeing and how he was trying to communicate to us. That's why some of the things that, that we, we read, they're symbolic and they have, they have, they're trying to describe and define what John was seeing. And think about some of the things he was seeing. He was seeing things that were completely out of context with his history. He was seeing things that were completely out of context with current times and current culture. 
when he was alive. I mean, think about it. He was on the Isle of Patmos, and he was in this penal colony. He was being punished and, uh, for speaking the gospel, and he sees all these visions from God, the throne of God. He's literally brought up into the heavenlies, and he sees all of this that God shows him. And he, I mean, some of the things that he says couldn't have even been possible to articulate in his time simply because they couldn't have been understood in his time. I mean, the fact that all eyes will see certain things, well, how would that have even been possible in his time? It wouldn't have. It's only possible in our time because now we have, you know, every kind of invention there is, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and, 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 and news programs and international coverage of everything. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, still when I was a kid, it's just not that long ago. I, I may be, I'm, a, I'm over 50, but I'm not that old. And uh, I can remember, though, that it took some time for us to find out things that were happening on the other side of the world. It's not like that anymore. You can find out on YouTube before it even hits the news what's happening on the other side of the world. And it's very interesting, and it's something that we're, we're going to have to kind of embrace, that John is trying to communicate things that he would have no frame of reference for. So that's why we have to work through it and figure out what he's saying to us in the context of our time. And we also should realize, and everyone should realize this, when it comes to studying the book of Revelation, that there's a blessing that goes with it. I know that sometimes we avoid it. We'll read every single other book in the Bible, but we'll avoid Revelation because oh, I just don't want to understand it and I don't, I don't get it and, 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 and I want to get confused and so on and so forth. But the truth is, the truth is there's a blessing. The Bible says if we hear read and study this book. Revelations chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. It says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Listen, right now, I want you to I want you to realize what's happening. I am reading aloud the scripture in Revelation. You are hearing it, and together we are studying it. So the Bible says that right now there is a blessing that is coming to us as a result of just hearing and believing and adhering to this word. And so I'm going to encourage you as we study this, don't just hear it, but make a commitment that you're going to apply it to your life. You're going to add it to your life. You're not going to just hear it, but you're going to hear what's written in it and you're going to do what's written in it because we know Jesus is coming. We know that he's coming and be honest, I can't wait. If he were to come right now, it would be just fine with me. Now, to understand all the things about the second coming and the rapture of the church, I want you to go back. If you, if you weren't here last week, you need to go listen to that podcast or watch that video and make sure that you connect because you don't want to miss that message. It was very, it was very, give very understanding about what the rapture is and what the second coming of Christ is and how that relates to us today. And we can't wait. I mean, so, it's not going to be long. I, I feel like I, I don't know what that date would be. And I'm not trying to figure out that date. I just know this I'm ready and I'm going to continue to be ready and I'm going to continue to get everybody I know to, to know Jesus Christ so that they can be ready as well. Now, let's remember 
how the last book of the Bible was written. It was written by the Apostle John. This is John the Beloved. This is the John that wrote the Gospel of John. It's, the, it's John that wrote the Epistles of John at the end, right before Revelation. And uh, he was just, he was, he was, he loved Jesus. He was one of the original apostles, one of the original disciples, and he loved Jesus. He was, he, he called himself in his gospel, the, 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 the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, he had such a confidence in his relationship with Jesus. But if you'll watch his life, he was, he was very close with Jesus. He was very connected to Jesus. If you look at all the special occurrences in Jesus' ministry that are recorded in the Bible or in the Gospels, you'll find that John is always with him. So there were times that Jesus pulled away from the disciples. You know, when he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he took three people with him, though, Peter, James, and John. Uh, you'll find that when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane before he was going to take that step to the cross, he needed to pray. He was in desperate need of friends and agreement, and he took three men with him up to Gethsemane. And who was it? It was Peter, James, and John. Uh, you find that John was always there. He was always connected. He was in the inner circle. You even find that if you'll read in the book of John, the account of the Last Supper when Jesus was with them, you know that there's a moment that Jesus said, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me and, and, and I will be crucified as a result. And many of them, if you read it in the other Gospels, it sounds like they're all asking Jesus, who is it? It's not me, is it? But if you'll read in the Gospel of John, you'll find that John was leaning on Jesus. Now, this might sound strange to you, but if you're ever in different cultures, it's not strange at all. I remember I was in Africa one time, and, 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 and we were sitting around a table and eating some dinner, and a young man was really talking to me and pouring his heart out to me. And before you know it, he was leaning on me. And we were talking and having this discussion. And in our culture, that would seem a little odd. But it was the first time I ever really got an understanding of that kind of approach and John and Jesus were very close and and so he was leaning on Jesus as they were sitting at the last supper and when Jesus said someone will betray me they were asking John and John was the one that asked Jesus and Jesus told him who it was that would betray him it's an interesting thing that John Jesus and John were sharing secrets even then but now think about it John has lived his life in full for Christ he's preached the gospel all over the then known world. Paul the apostle is on the scene. Many of the disciples and apostles have already been martyred and are dead. And John is in his old age. And they were trying to get rid of him because he would not stop preaching the gospel. He would not stop writing the gospel. He would not stop building the kingdom. And so here he is and he begins to be persecuted. And at one point, tradition tells us they tried to boil him in oil. And instead of him dying and burning up, he didn't. He didn't have a response to it. And so I guess God just kind of put a force field around him or something and protected him, but he didn't burn up. And so they, they, they decided we're going to put him on the Isle of Patmos, which the Isle of Patmos was a little island and it was a penal colony where they put criminals. And they just thought, we'll put him on there and we'll never hear from him again. But we obviously did hear from him again. And he wrote this letter because when he was there uh, in, in this bad situation, he was experiencing this devastating situation where he had done nothing wrong except preach the gospel, and he was being punished for it in isolation on an island. And the Bible said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. In other words, it was, it was time to worship God, and it doesn't matter where you're at. 
man, you, you go for it. And he began to worship the Lord. And when he did, God just opened up heaven to him and began to show him things. And an angel showed up and began to declare to John that he was about to see some amazing things and that he should write it down. It was such a powerful moment that he fell on his face as if dead because it was just too much glory to behold. You know, he starts this book by revealing what he was seeing at that moment. Then he wrote letters to the churches, and that was followed by prophetic books that would speak to things to come. Revelations 1.19 is kind of the key that unlocks all of Revelations because Revelations is in three sections. And here's what, it, here's, here's what those sections are. This key is to unlocking the revelation of this book. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write what you have seen. So he's telling John right now what's going on, what you're seeing, all of these things and symbols and ideas and concepts and, and me and the way you see me and all of this, I want you to write that. And then he said, I want you to write what is now. And so the first, first chapter of John is what he was seeing at the time. And then he's writing what is now. And he wrote chapter 2 and 3 the letters to the churches. That's what was presently going on now in the kingdom. And then he would write the prophetic picture of things to come, which is Revelation chapter 4 to the end. So when we look at Revelations and we study it, we can break it up in those sections and understand that's how it works. So what John saw at the moment was a glorified Jesus. He saw this powerful king of kings, lord of lords. His visage and his posture went, were not, was not one of a meek carpenter's son anymore. He, he wasn't that person that was bringing the gospel and he was, he, he was kind and he was loving. And although he was kind and he was loving, but what he was picturing now was something totally different. It was rather a warrior judge who was ready to carry out and dispense the purpose of God, even in judgment on the earth. The Bible describes Jesus as having eyes that were as flames of fire. In other words, if you've ever looked in somebody's eyes who, were, who, was, who, who was angry about something or responding about something or that, that would look like their eyes were a flame of fire. He had a, the word coming out of his mouth was like, this, like a sword. So it was like symbolic for the sword of the spirit of the word of God that cut, cuts on both sides. And it, it's very interesting how he sees him. And, and you know, the last time we saw Jesus, we saw him resurrected from the dead. But this is even a more impacting and emphasized version of who he is in total. You know, here there's something uh, to know about the way most the, theologians view, uh, excuse me, theologians view the letters to the churches. Um, they... They look at the letters to the churches and they see it three ways. And I agree with this 100%. Number one, that the letters were written to actual local church, churches that were present on the earth at the time. And they had deep practical meaning to those churches. So everything you read in these letters to these churches are addressing things that were going on right then, right there. At that moment in those churches. The second way we can look at this, though, is each letter has significant application to each believer personally, no matter when you live in history, that you can take what we see in these letters, we can apply them to our life, and we can literally uh, make application today after understanding them in their cultural context. We can put them in our context and say that is a 
applicable to me. The third thing is each church individually and the seven churches collectively point us to a prophetic anticipation. In other words, we see them as seven ages or seven stages in the life of the church on the earth, starting at the day of Pentecost all the way to the rapture of the church. Now, I'm just going to make a disclosure. There is no way possible in this series that we're going to be able to get to all the details of when that was and where that was and 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 what part of history they were and all that. We're not going to get into all that. That'll get take us into the weeds and we'll not be able to really accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. So I just want to make that clear. If you're expecting to get every detail about everything, every theological concept or idea of eschatology, that's not going to happen in this series. We're going to get some, but we're not going to get all. And, and, and that would take months and months and months and months. And what I'm trying to do is just encourage you to study it, encourage you to begin to get a hope in your heart and that Jesus is coming and that I want to be in position that is proper for that understanding of him coming. I, I, I want to understand that 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 applies to me that if the knowledge that he's coming it should create some kind of something in me it maybe it should create an anticipation maybe i'm kind of feeling hopeless or desperate or despondent i I should be revived in hope knowing that jesus has not left us to ourselves and he's not left us to the dangers and and degradation of the world but he is coming back to take us out of here and he's going to give us a life eternal he's going to give us a life free from sin and a life free from sickness and a life free from disease and maybe that's what you need to get out and maybe that's your response that you need to get out of this or maybe you're you're a person who you know you 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 just really haven't been urgent you just you just you 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 know the things about the bible you know what god wants for your life you, you you're a church person but you're just really not urgent in your relationship and maybe looking at this and understanding that we're living in a time where people really need jesus and they really need to know him and if they don't know him they're not going to come they're not going to go when he comes and if they don't know him they're not going to make it to heaven and this may you may be a person that this needs to put a real urgency on the inside of you for your family and your friends and your spouse and your kids and your parents to come to know Jesus and maybe you're just a person who's dreading this you're you're dreading uh, the, the fact that Jesus would come simply because you're not right with God and you know that there are things in your life that would make you go if Jesus were to come am I really ready and I'm just saying to you maybe this is a time for you to repent and so we're going to talk about a lot of those things in the next few moments, and there's no way we're going to get through all the seven churches today. So we're just going to go as far as we can, and then we'll pick it up next week. So the question then is, what are the letters to the churches really all about? What was their purpose? In each letter, Jesus says of the churches, each church, he says, I know your works. In other words, I see you and I see what you're doing. He gives some valuable commendations to the churches and then he gives them some serious critiques as well as challenges to change. So let's look at the letters and ask what he's saying to the churches at the time and then ask how does that apply to us and then ask how can that application be um, be important informed and inspired by the idea that these seven churches are seven stages of the church over history. The seven letters of seven churches starts with Ephesus. 
Let's read it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Some translations say it this way. You left your first love. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So now listen, before I break this down, I just want to encourage you, look at what the angel is saying. Look at what uh, the, the letter is saying to the churches. I mean, he's saying, look, there are things you're doing well. Jesus is evaluating the church. There are things you're doing well. But then he says, but there are some things that need to change. There are some things you're not doing well, and they need to change. And then he goes on to say, but if you do change them and you overcome, then you're going to receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing. So as we read this and we consider the end times and the fact that this is a part of that whole dynamic, this is a part of that whole narrative of the end times, these letters to these churches, we must, if we're going to be ready for Jesus to come and if we're going to do the things necessary for the church to do in this time, we have to be very familiar with this and we have to understand God is saying something not just to the church at Ephesus 2,000 years ago, he's saying something to us right now. He's saying something to Summit Church, to you as a believer right now as it pertains to the time that we're living in. So what did he commend them for? Jesus commended them for some things that are very interesting. He commended them for their suppression of evil. Now, I'm just going to say in the culture that we live in today, um, we, we're confused, and you're going to see it more and more as we talk about these churches, and we're, we're, we get confused about what love really looks like, and we get confused about what judgment really looks like. Oh, don't judge. No, never judge. And we're so silly when it comes to that thinking. No, we don't want to. Well, the Bible says don't judge, Pastor David. Well, we know that. Romans chapter 2, it says, Judge not, lest you be judged. With the same measure you judge with, it shall be judged against you. But here's the reality of that. That word judge there means it means to not become the, the judge, jury, and executioner. In other words, you're not making final determinations about people. It's not your job to condemn someone or to you know be their judge, their jury, and executioner. In other words, you're going to pull off the sentence in their life, and you're going to be the jury in their life. No, we're not to be critical and mean-spirited, but the idea that we're not to make judgments is foolish. It's absolutely foolish. And even when it comes to people, we are to make judgments because the Bible says, you shall know them by their fruit. In other words, 
We don't want to partner ourselves with evil, and we want to stand against evil. Jesus is commending this church because they suppressed evil when it tried to make its existence in, its, in the church, when it tried to show up in their midst. He, they suppressed that evil. It said he didn't like, he didn't like the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. L listen, it says, it says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. So there were people that were coming into the church and they were bringing with them wickedness and compromise and sinfulness and unrighteousness. And they were bringing that in the church. And then some of them were even calling themselves apostles and they were Jews and they were Judaizers and they were trying to confuse and divide. And the, this church suppressed evil. They thought, we're not allowing that. That's not going to happen here. And then he commended them for their spiritual discernment. In other words, to see evil, to see where wickedness existed. Discernment, the gift of discernment is literally the ability to be able to know what the source of a thing is. In other words, that's being said, I know where that's coming from. That's not coming from God, that's coming from the enemy, or that's coming from gossip, or that's coming from a bad place. We can discern what a situation is. Is it godly? Is it ungodly? And so he commended them for their suppression of evil. He commended them for their spiritual discernment. And by the way, not just evil outside themselves, but evil inside themselves, wrong inside themselves, spiritual inadequacies and sinfulness. He, he, he loved the fact that they were moral and suppressing evil and spiritually discerning and then they stood against the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans were, uh, many believe, were um, an early follower of Jesus by the name of Nicholas, um, had lost his way, and he began to create a sect of Jews, and they were practicing heresy. And what they were trying to do is they were coming into the church and creating division among the church. And they would the leaders of the church at Ephesus would not tolerate it. And they put a stop to it and they said, no, you're not going to do that here. A lot of times in the world today, we just think we're supposed to just let everything go and do whatever ever, because we don't want to judge anybody and we don't want to call anybody out and we don't want to you know, do anything like that. And it's not about us going around and judging people and calling people out, but it's about us saying we're not going to allow division and sinfulness and unrighteousness to rule and reign in our midst. And we're going to be there for one another to help be discerning in our lives. And we're not going to allow for demonic influence in the, in the culture of our lives. But then Jesus does something interesting. He commended them for hating evil. He commended them for um, suppressing evil and hating the, the philosophy and the ideology of the Nicolaitans. And he commended them for being so discerning but then he corrected them for something interesting. He said, you've left your first love. Now, I, I just want to say something to you about this. A lot of times when this is preached and talked about, we don't say you left your first love. For some reason, I don't know why, but over the years, many people have begun to say, instead of left your first love, we begin to say you've lost your first love. Well, the problem with the idea of losing your first love is that if you lost it, you can't find it. But the truth is, if you left it, you know where you left it. 
And so if you left it, you can always go back and get it. He didn't correct them and say, you've lost your first love. He said, you have left your first love. And I just want to share with you that it's very possible to be a dutiful, discerning, righteous, upstanding citizen of heaven or citizen of the church and not be loving and not be in love with God and intimate with God and close with God. We can be religious and neglect our love relationship with Jesus. The Bible talks about it, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels. Now, the reason I want to take this scripture is because a lot of times we skip over this first part and we just go to what love is. And we define what love is, but we skip over what is actually said to precede that. And here's what he says, if I speak of the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So here's the Apostle Paul saying, you can give yourself to be a martyr. You can you can you can uh, uh, give all that you have away to the poor, but still not be operating in a love for God because you're just being religiously dutiful. And we need to understand there is a difference between doing your responsibility as a believer and actually being in love with Jesus, actually having that close relationship. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the fact is, we can pursue all of these right things, but if our heart is not in it, it just becomes like going through the motions. Now, I know that John, I mean, the, the Apostle Paul in that scripture is talking about loving other people. But let me just tell you, you don't effectively love others if you don't first effectively love God. And we go through so many motions religiously. I, I've done it. You've done it. And as, as John is talking to this church from the mouth of Jesus, he's saying to them, look, you, you're doing some good things, but you've forgotten love. You've forgotten how to love Jesus. You've forgotten how to give your whole self to him in passion and, and, and love to him where, where you just are so excited about it. I remember when I first dated Janae and I was in love with Janae, my wife, and Man, I'm telling you, I talked about if I was either with her all the time, and if I wasn't with her, I was talking to her on the phone, and if I wasn't talking to her on the phone, I was talking to somebody else about how awesome she was. I just loved her. And, and, and you know, even in our marriages, we find times where we go through the motions in marriage, and we get busy, and we're doing our family stuff, and, and we kind of lose that feeling, that passion, and you almost have to rekindle it. Well, what would make us think that the very same thing wouldn't be true in our relationship? with God, that we can go through life with all the heaviness and all the problems and all the issues, and we can keep all the rules, but still not really be where we need to be because we're not really loving Jesus. If 
you're doing well. Let what you're doing well be coming out of the overflow of your love relationship with God. Not just because it's the rule and that's what you're supposed to do, but do it because you love Jesus. Do you know why I've stayed with my wife so long and why she stayed with me so long? We've had our moments. We've had our ups and downs. We've had our problems and our issues. When we were first married, I didn't know if we were going to make it. That's the truth. In our first five years, there were moments that I thought, we're not going to make it. And, and, and the truth is God saw us through and you know what kept us together in those hard times? It wasn't because we loved each other so much, but we did, but it wasn't that it was because we loved Jesus so much. We were so in love with Jesus that we could not, you know, why shouldn't I leave my wife when I get tired of her? Because you love Jesus so much that you would never even consider such a crazy thought. Uh, why, why don't I go out and do the things that everybody else is doing? Because you love Jesus so much, not because you're afraid to go to hell, not because there's punishment, not because there are consequences, but because Jesus has done so much for you that you love him with everything of your being. And because you love him, it causes your life to reflect that relationship and that love. Because when you love somebody, you want to please them. When you love somebody, you want to do what is pleasing to them. He challenged them. And here's what he said to do. He said, remember. He said, remember. Jesus said the greatest commandment was love. Now go back and remember. Remember where you left it. Remember where you left it. Sometimes we just need to stop. And he was telling this church, look, you're doing some good things, but you need to remember where you left your love. You need to remember what happened. Why did you stop having such intimacy with God? Why did you stop loving him so much? Where did you leave that? Did you get tired? Did you get weary? Did something happen in your life? Was it, has it been difficult? Did you get impatient? What was it that caused you to just say, you know what, I'm going to continue to live like this, but I don't need all that. I don't need to go all the way there. I don't need to have all of that business. Maybe somebody said you're too radical. Maybe said somebody said you're too passionate about Jesus. You give too much time at that church. You give too much money to the things of God. You, 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 you're, you, you, hey, why don't you just be saved, but you don't have to be so radical. And so maybe the influence of the world started making you think that their opinion was more important than your relationship with Jesus. Hey, we've all been there. And he's just saying, go back to where you left it. Remember. And, and I think when you remember where you left it, also remember what it was like. Remember how, how you felt when you first fell in love with Jesus. Remember how it felt when you first realized that he would forgive all your sins. Remember how you felt when you realized that it didn't matter if all of the earth was gone and it was just you. Jesus would still have died for you. Remember how you felt when, when you realized that he died for your sins and he rose again and gave you life. Remember. Go back and remember and think on it and and, and meditate on it and then repent then repent change your thinking repentance just simply means to change your mind change your direction make it right we repent it's not just you may be emotional you may cry tears but it repenting is literally just saying i know i'm going the wrong way now I'm going to go the right way. Jesus is telling me you're doing some good things, but what you're not doing is loving me like you used to love me. So now turn and come back to that relationship. 
turn and go away from that hardness of heart. Did you know that's one of the indicators of the end times? The Bible said that people would grow cold in their heart, that they would grow cold in their love for God and cold in their love for others, while at the same time loving themselves more than they love anything else. And then he said, return. So remember, repent and return. Begin to do what you did where you were, when you were deeply filled with love. Some of you, you need to return to church because that's what you did when you were deeply in love with Jesus. You need to return to getting in that word every morning. You need to return to seeking the face of God. Not because, listen, not because it's your duty, but because it's, it's, it's your relationship, because you love Jesus. You need to return to the way you treated your spouse. You need to return to the way you treated the people on your job. You need to return. It's important that we get the fact that when Jesus was giving these talks, these letters, these discussions to these churches through John, it's important that you realize that this was, this was a, a narrative that was happening and unfolding right there and right then. And it's, it's important for us to realize that John was seeing all these unbelievable things. He was seeing God, you know, Jesus high and lifted up. His hair was white like wool. His eyes were a flame of fire. Out of his mouth proceeded a sword. He was strong and majestic and kingly and righteous and and then God said, I want you to tell people what you're seeing. I want you to tell them what you're seeing. And then I want you to send these letters to these specific churches. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Because sometimes I think we think God's forgotten about us. I think sometimes we think that, that we're going through struggles and we're going through hardships. And I'm going to admit that in the last two years, there have been moments, just small moments, as Fear has run rampant across the world and this pandemic that we can't seem to get rid of is, is, is affecting not only the physical health of people but the way people are thinking and it's, it's being abused by people in power and it's being misused and mishandled by people in every kind of place and we're caring more about the politics of it than we are the people that are affected by it and it's just, it's just become such a, and there's been moments, just short moments where I've thought to myself, God, where are you? I've prayed, God, I want you to change this. God, I want you to fix this. And all I can tell you is that somehow, some way, this, what is going on and what has gone on is playing into where we're at in history. But we have those moments where we feel, where are you? And you know, sometimes I think that's when we start going through the motions is when we lose that intimacy with God. And it's because of maybe something happened in our life and we felt like, where was God? And, 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 and we didn't have somebody to say, no, God is always with you. And sometimes things don't turn out the way we want, but God is there and he loves you and he cares for you. And I think it's so amazing that here are these seven churches that God picks out. And you have to understand that these letters would not have just gone to those seven churches because the way of the apostles was they would write these letters to a church and then they would ask the church to pass it on to other churches and let them all partake of what God is saying. And and, and, and I, I just, I just got to say, I, I feel like that he was saying to the church at Ephesus, you may have left your first love, but I'm still 
very deeply in love with you. And I want you to come back to your first love, not just because it's good for you, because I miss you. Because I love the interchange and the exchange of a passionate love between a father and a child. A passionate love between the, the, the Christ and the bride of Christ. And he's saying, come back. Come back. I didn't go anywhere. I'm still here. You're the one that moved. And he's saying, I, I love it that you I love it that you're going through the motions. I love it that you're doing some good things. You're, you're saying no to evil, but but it, 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 it's no good without the love. We find out later that there's a comparison between two of the churches. In Ephesus, they had forgotten their first love, but they were against evil. And then there's another church, I think Smyrna, that had forgotten, had, had, had so much love, but had misinterpreted love as tolerance. And it's important that we understand that God has not forgotten us and God has a word for us today. And I'm just saying to you that the word for you today is this. Don't just go through the motions of your Christianity. Jesus is coming. And we are so hopeful at His coming. And we want Him to come. And we're so excited that we have been given the privilege to live in the end times. Listen, that's the way we should be thinking about this. Not not that, oh my God, why do I have to live now? We should be thinking God is trusting us, the church of today to continue the message and building the kingdom because we're getting closer and closer. And I don't know how close we are, but we're closer than we were to His coming. And He's given us this trust that we would shine the light, that we would stand on the hill, that we would be a city that will not be hidden, that we will salt the earth with the flavors of godliness. He's calling unto us and saying to us, look, the way this is going to work is if you'll love me first. And sometimes I think as we do church and we go through the motions that we just, the love is not there. The passion is not there. I've been to so many worship experiences where people are worshiping, but you can tell their hearts are cold and they don't really sense the presence of God. And they're not really there for that. It's just a going through the motions. Can I just tell you, Jesus loves you and he wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because because it's the relationship that we have that changes things. So as we continue to study these churches, and we'll get to more churches. I had to lay a foundation today. We'll get to more churches next week. But as we continue to study these churches, I want us to not just see that God is remembering Himself to them. I want us to see that God was not just saying to them, hey, I'm thinking about you. And I know what's best for you. And I like this about you, but here's some things that need to change. I'm praying that as we get closer and closer to His coming, that we'll really listen to His word to these churches and we'll understand He's not just speaking to them. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to Summit Church. He's speaking to you as a believer. And He's saying, come back. Don't leave me. Don't think you can do this in your own power. Don't think that you don't need the presence of God. Don't think that you don't need that relationship, depth, and intimacy. Come back. You left me standing here. Think of it this way. Can you imagine being at a wedding 
and you go through the whole procession and in the middle of it the bride just walks out pastor's up there giving the message and the bride just walks out how heartbreaking that would be for the groom but if you can make that analogous to Jesus here's what Jesus did he's the groom he's just standing there and he's saying I'm waiting you left me here if you'll come back if you'll come back we can have a passionate relationship of love that changes your world and the world of everybody else around you so I'm challenging you today if you're a person that's in love with Jesus and your relationship is so full and so intimate don't don't ever leave it don't just go through the motions don't find yourself just running the gamut find yourself closely intimately connected to Jesus and if you've somehow walked away if you somehow I'm not talking about being backslidden I'm talking about you're a believer you're you're a, a lover of God but somehow it's become more about doing the things of God it's become about making sure I'm right making sure I do righteously and it's it, it and that's good and it's great and God even commends that he said I'm glad you don't like evil I'm glad you'll stand up against the philosophies of the day I'm glad that you'll you'll be the person who's righteous but more than that I want you to love me because all of that without love is nothing but the law and it's nothing but pain waiting to happen so come back if you've left come back I want to pray for you today and if you're a person who doesn't know Jesus at all you never had a relationship with him I want to pray with you and there's going to become a little uh, a little uh, link on the page that comes up and you can just click on that and you can make a decision to follow Christ and a pastor or leader will get back with you and help you know what your next steps and your spiritual journey are but if you're a person here today and you realize that Jesus loves you and he cares for you and you need to make a decision to follow him. I want to pray a prayer with you. And I want to pray a prayer for all of us today that we wouldn't just go through the motions in our relationship with God. We wouldn't just get tired and weary of doing things for God, but that we would be more in love with our Jesus than we have ever been before, that we'll be filled with love for Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength in a way that it will impassion and embolden and empower our lives to build His kingdom. Because you, loving God brings obedience to God for the right reasons and in the right way. So Father God, I just pray for every single person here that's a part of our online campus. I pray, God, that if, if there's anyone who is, their love has grown cold, that they just don't, their heart is just not in it. I pray that you will rekindle the love in their heart. Extend your love to them. Extend your grace to them. Extend your goodness to them in such a way. Remind them of who you are. Remind them of the relationship that you have. And help them to make their way back Help them to re remember. Help them to repent. Help them to return. In Jesus' name. And Father, for those who may not know you, I pray, God, that they will click on that link and that they will pray with somebody and that they will one of our pastors and leaders can connect with them and lead them into a relationship with you that can change their life forever. In Jesus' name, amen.